if you're warm, uh, Sarah asked me before she left if she should turn the air conditioning down. And I said, yeah, because I'm going to deliver a bunch of hot air in just a few minutes. <laughs> so just if you're warm, it's rescue is on the way. And thank you, choir, for that. Wasn't that great this morning? Man. Now, they piped in the orchestra. Was that the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, or was that really you guys? <laughs> well done. Well done. Today, we initiate or celebrate the initiation, the first day of what we call Passion Week. It's called Passion Week. The word passion comes from the Greek word pathos, which means to suffer, suffering. And so we recognize Jesus' great suffering at the end of this week called Passion Week. Others call it Holy Week because they expand the scope beyond just his suffering to the fact that during this week, he gave some of his most profound teaching, and he healed many people. So he convinced people not only that he was here to suffer, but that he was here to help, to glorify, to teach, to help us grow. So we call it Passion Week. We call it Holy Week. Some of us less sophisticated might call it Weird Week, because on Sunday, they're proclaiming him as the king of Israel. Hosanna, which means save us. Son of David. Glorious Messiah. On Friday, the same people are yelling, crucify him. Away with him. He's a phony baloney. What happened? How could that be? So it's Passion Week. It's Holy Week. But it's also Confusing Week. But it's also a crucial week. It's one of the, the most important week in Jesus' life. If you do the math, we realize that Jesus spent over 1,700 weeks on earth. 33 times 52 comes out a little over 1,700. But of those 1,700 weeks, this one week occupies 31% of Matthew's gospel. Mark gave it 25%. Luke, 20%. John spent 40% of his gospel focusing on this one week. That should tell us this is an important week to those of us who follow Christ. So what's this week all about? What's this week all about? What was, what was Jesus doing? It's all about Jesus helping people answer the question, who is this guy? Who is this person? He's very confusing. It's hard to get your mind around this enormous God-man, this man who tells us that he's, he's the king of Israel, and then we see that the Gentiles are going to kill him, and he's going to be dead, and then he's going to come back to life. I mean, get your head around that one. So Jesus was preparing people for the end of this week, for them to understand why he was going to the cross and why it was essential that he, after being crucified, came back to life. It's the foundation of our whole faith. It's the foundation of, of what he wants us to believe and to, to live by. So all four Gospels describe the events of Passion Week. But John, giving it 40%, goes beyond describing the 
events, and he has interviews with the people. He helps us understand that this is about events, but John's focus was this is about people. This is about you and me. This is about the folks. And he focuses on, 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 in John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, and if you're not used to bringing your Bibles, bring them. I have nothing, absolutely nothing to say to you except what's in here. So I will be teaching you the scriptures, and some of you may want to even take notes and mark down some things. And uh, So bring your Bibles, and uh, uh, it'll be nicer for you, because I'll, I'll be referring to it a lot. So anyway, uh, we read in John chapter 12 that there were four different crowds, four different groups of people. First, first you have the curious crowd. We read about it earlier, the crowd. Actually, it's two crowds that came together. Second, we have some convinced, I call them religiosos. He refers to the high priest, he refers to the Pharisees, but it's just a bunch of people who are so convinced that what they believed was right, that their brains became impervious. And, and so you have this group who were the convinced religiosos. And then you have the confused disciples saying, what's going on? <laughs> and then you have the compelled Greeks. Just a short bit about them, but it's a very important thing. John doesn't waste space by putting things in that don't matter. And so first we're introduced to this, uh, this, uh, this curious crowd. He begins actually where David left off last week in Bethany. Remember the anointing? Jesus was anointed in the, in the town of Bethany, in the little town of Bethany. And, uh, and uh, uh, there was a group of people there. There was, what he says actually is there was a crowd there that had gathered to see what was going on with this business where Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they were there, they were fascinated by this man, Jesus, this guy, Jesus. Who is he? He's the guy that raises the dead. He's the guy that heals the sick. He's the guy that fed us, 5,000 of us and 4,000 of us. On two occasions, he fed us bread and fish and didn't even charge us. I mean, this is a guy we want to get to know. This is a guy we want to hang around. This is the guy we, we believe in. We've got to follow this guy. He gives us what we want. And so this large crowd, John tells us in John 12, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was in Bethany and came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And that word Hosanna, it's a Hebrew word that just means save us. Save us. We read it in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. It's this word, Hosanna. And it's translated, save us, O Lord. Save us, God, for our Savior. It's Psalm 118, the same word, Hosanna. Lord, save us. Grant us success. Deliver us from these oppressing Gentiles. So you've got the group coming out of Bethany with Jesus, that crowd. And then you have the crowd coming up the road that leads down from the Mount of Olives, 
They're waving palm branches and claiming as Messiah. As they come together, you've got the group that's saying, we want the Messiah who's going to get rid of the Gentiles and deliver us and, 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 and make us rule the world because he is the Messiah, the King of Kings that we've longed for and waited for. So, wow. And then you've got the group coming out of Bethany saying, yeah, but he also heals the sick and raises the dead and he feeds us. And so you've got all these people. And their answer to this question, who is this guy? This is the guy who gives me what I want. This is the guy who takes care of me. Yeah, I like him. He takes care of me. He gives me stuff. But then the, these are the violins, the wonderful, beautiful, praising Jesus. And then we go, da, da, da. And the cellos and the basses start playing. The Pharisees. The religious crowd. The religious religiosos were convinced that Jesus was a fraud. The large crowd was following Jesus because he raised Lazarus. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus. <laughs> this guy just raised a dead man out of the grave. And these religious Folks were so set in their ways that instead of saying, golly, they said, he's phony. Can't be. Because on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Got to get rid of this guy. And we got to get rid of Jesus too. Now, the crowd that witnessed Lazarus' resurrection was spreading the news, and many were following Jesus because of it. So when the crowds came together, the group coming up from Jerusalem were listening to the people who came out of Bethany and had seen this whole idea of Jesus raising Lazarus. So this news was spreading. So the Pharisees said to one another, this is getting us nowhere. We've got to take some steps and get rid of this guy. So he asked these religiosos, who is that guy? He can't be the one he claims to be. He can't be this Messiah that those people are talking about because he doesn't fit our grid. Our minds are frozen on what we know, and we can't learn anymore. We refuse to accept him. And then you have the disciples who are confused. Jesus' disciples, they were serving him, but they were... Confused, and I can understand them being confused. Uh, it says at uh, verse 16 of John chapter 12, at first his disciples didn't understand all this. They didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And then Luke tells us that a week or two before this day, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them about Passion Week, that he was going to be delivered over and killed and that he would rise from the grave. The disciples didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they didn't know what he was talking about. So if you ask the disciples, who is this guy? They don't know. How do you get your head around this? The stuff he tells us. The things we've seen him do. Nobody's done this kind of stuff before. And we thought he was going to bring in the kingdom. But he told us a couple of weeks ago that he's going to come to Jerusalem and he's going to be killed. How do you kill God? 
We believe who he says he is, but we can't get our, we're, we're confused, we're wondering, we're asking, we're searching, we're searching. We just can't comprehend all of this. And then in verse 20, John introduced us on this day of great uh, beginning of Passion Week. He said there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. These were Gentiles, people who didn't really fit. Kind of people, you look at them and say, what are they doing here? They're Gentiles. They don't fit. They don't belong. Well, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. We'd like to see Jesus. Now, there are five words for see in the New Testament, Greek. This one is a particular word that says to meet, to interview, to visit, to understand. Now, if somebody were to tell you, I'm going to go see my doctor this afternoon, you say, well, this guy must be a real wacko. I mean, he must have a lot of insurance, and he must have a lot of time on his hands. If he's going to make an appointment, he's going to look at a doctor. And if he goes and says to the doctor, I just came to look at you, the doctor would say, wrong doctor. I'm a cardiologist. You need the psychiatrist down the hall. <laughs> and we understand when somebody says, I'm going to go see my lawyer or see my doctor. They're going to get help. They're going to get, they're searching for something. And these Greeks said, we don't know who this guy is, but we understand that he can help us. There's a gnawing in our soul. There's a deep sense that something ain't right. And from what we've heard, we think this guy can help us. So they came to Philip, who has a, that's a Greek name, saying, well, he, maybe he'll get us. And so Philip went and told Andrew, and Philip and Andrew went to see Jesus and said, who hey, are these guys? So the, 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 the outsiders were seeking him. So that's the first day, Sunday. You had the curious crowd. You've got the convinced religiosos. You've got the confused disciples. And you've got the compelled Greeks. Then John fast forwards. Well, he tells the Lord, I'm going to fast forward to chapter 19. We go now from Sunday, the beginning of the week, to Thursday and Friday, the end of the week. And John once again brings three of these four groups of people back to our attention. The Greeks drop off the page. But we first see the confused disciples chronologically as we see how John tells the end of this week. We read that in that hour, well, Jesus now, by this time, he had been betrayed by Judas, sold out by one of his disciples, confused, confused. He hadn't settled the issue. He hadn't answered the question, who is this guy? And so because he didn't have a firm conviction, a clear-cut sense of who Jesus is, he sold him out. And then he came to arrest him. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd who had come to arrest him, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to arrest me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. 
And then Matthew tells us, and he was one of them, and Matthew tells us all the disciples deserted him and fled. So on Thursday night, the confused disciples said, who is this guy? He's a guy that other people don't accept. He's a guy that other people are confused about too. Kind of embarrassing to be associated with this one that people don't accept. So because they had never figured out, they hadn't worked through their confusion, they didn't have a clear conviction of who he was, they took off. They didn't own him. They didn't stand with him. Who is this guy? He's the guy the world rejects, and we don't want to be associated with him. Kind of sad, isn't it? Now, Jesus was arrested. He was turned over to Pilate. He was scourged, beaten, had a long talk with Pilate. All that's recorded in chapter 18. Then he was turned over to the convinced religiosos. John tells us this. After Pilate had met with Jesus, once more Pilate came out to the leaders and said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and the bruises and the fat lip. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, I find no basis for a charge against him. There's no reason to crucify this guy. He's innocent. The leaders insisted, We have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. Once again, they were blinded but they, by what they already knew and would not and could not let go of their prejudices, their foregone conclusions. Who is this guy? We don't know, but he sure ain't who he says he is. We refuse to believe that. And then he was turned over to the curious crowd. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. He brought Jesus out to the crowd and said, here is your king. They shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, they answered. Finally, Jesus handed him over to them, and he was crucified. So on Friday, if you ask the curious crowd, who is that guy, they would say, he's the guy who didn't meet our expectations. We thought he was going to give us bread. We thought he was going to drive the Romans out. We thought we were going to be with him and rule the world. And now look at him standing up there next to a Gentile. And that Gentile has the power over his life instead of him, the Messiah, having power over their life. Crucify him. We're no longer curious. We become part of the convinced. Weird week. 
Yeah. But you know, all four of these groups still function today, in 2022, with their own answers to the question, who is that guy? We still have the curious crowd. You say, who is that guy? Who's that guy supposed to? He's the guy who's supposed to give me what I want. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He fed the people fish and bread. He healed the sick. So I come to him when I'm in trouble. I ask him to heal my cancer. And he didn't. I ask him to give me that promotion. And he didn't. I go to church. I'm a Christian. On Sunday morning, I sing, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. And on Friday, he misses the putt and says, Jesus Christ. He didn't give me what I wanted. I had a lot of money riding on that putt. I worship him on Sunday, and then I use him for the rest of the week. And when he doesn't perform, I just wait till I go back to church next Sunday. I had a couple come to me. I was teaching at a Bible conference on Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, after I finished, this couple came up, and I was, you know, smiling and greeting him, and they said, how dare you teach that? I said, excuse me? They said, well, we're Christians. We go to church. We raised our kids in church. They were in church every time the doors are open. We had family worship every day, and now they're not walking with God. And I thought, if I had you for parents, I probably wouldn't be walking with God either. (laughs) How dare God promise that? And I said, where did you read that promise? Well, you just preached on it. I said, no, no, I was preaching out of Proverbs, not promises. Proverbs ain't promises, baby. Jesus said, I increase the probability that your child will walk with me if you do your job well, but there are no guarantees. Remember, God lost Adam and Jesus lost Judas. Ain't no guarantees. And when we put Jesus into a guarantee deal and he doesn't come through, we're in a dangerous place. And if we're just part of the curious crowd, we may offend him. They even reject him as the crowd did. And then you have the convinced religiosos. Who's that guy? We don't really care. He doesn't fit what we already know. You see, they had minds that were made up and frozen. These were religious morons. And we still have them. People who say, you can't teach me anything. That sermon doesn't fit my grid. That Bible verse isn't what I believe. That's wrong. And I've discovered whenever I find stupid in the Bible, I realize there is stupid in the room, but it ain't there. (laughs) And I've got some work to do. I uh, came to Christ when I was 15 years old at a wonderful place. I thank God for it. But they were as rigid as you could be. 
And one of the things they taught me was that there's only one way to read the, the creation narratives in Genesis 1 and 2. And if you don't read them the way we read them, you can't read the whole Bible right. If you misinterpret this, you would misinterpret John 3.16. So, fine. I went to seminary, and I took Old Testament introduction with a brilliant, godly scholar named Bruce Waltke. And Bruce presented five different ways of reading Genesis 1 and 2. Now, Bruce, Dr. Walke reads Hebrew like I read English. And so one of the students said, Dr. Walke, which view do you take? And he told us, and it wasn't the one I was told is the only one we could believe. And I went into a funk. I wrestled with that for a week. I despised this beautiful, wonderful, scholarly man because he didn't read the Bible correctly. I made an appointment with him, went to see him. He talked me through it. You see, my mind was frozen. There's only one way to understand these things. And if you don't read it the way I read it, we have nothing to talk about. And these religiosos were so convinced that Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be, that there was no way. Miracles, teaching, passionate man, all of that stuff, no effect at all. Then you had the Greeks. They're still with us. People who have a deep gnawing in their soul. Knowing something isn't right. Seeking someone to help them. To forgive them of their sins. And we are the Phillips. We are the Andrews. We are the ones to bring them to Jesus. They're there, folks. They need Jesus. And our commission is to bring them to him. And they're still confused disciples. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. You ask me who he is? Say, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my mentor. He's my teacher. But I don't get him a lot of the time. He's confusing. He's overwhelming. So I must spend the rest of my life addressing my confusion, learning, reading the scriptures, praying for wisdom, going to Bible studies, listening to folks tell me how they understand things. And through interaction, my confusion, bit by bit, is clearing up. But I pray I will always, for the rest of my life, be a confused disciple and not a frozen, boneheaded religioso, or part of the curious crowd who just sees him as somebody who's interesting. And Jesus knew we would struggle with these things. He knew we would struggle with these things. He told his disciples in John 16, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And those same 11 disciples that denied him, ran away from him when he was arrested, 
changed the world. Ten of them died as martyrs rather than ever abandon him again. Because in their confusion, they began to make some solid conclusions. See, Jesus cared about them. He cared about the Greeks. He cared about the religiosos. So much that he said, I am commissioning you, my people, to go and tell them that they need not to reject me, but to accept me. And I know over time you're going to forget. Some of this is going to go away. You're going to see a horrible, terrible thing tomorrow, Jesus said to them on Thursday night. They were having dinner together, celebrating the Passover. And after dinner, Jesus took the bread, and he said, guys, this is the Passover bread. This is all about remembering. You know what the Passover is about. We're supposed to remember that God delivered our ancestors from Egypt. And so we celebrate this Passover every year. It's our high holy day. And so tonight, as we've celebrated that, I I, want to give new meaning to the Passover, this bread here. (laughs) Already broken. (laughs) I'm going to do it this way. (laughs) Jesus said, guys, whenever you eat this bread, Remember my body, which is broken for you. You're going to see an awful thing tomorrow. They're going to beat me and kill me. Don't ever forget how much I love you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Whenever you drink it, would you think of me? (laughs) Would you remember what I did? So let's take a few moments together this morning. You have your little cup. Thank you, Kathy. I've broken three fingernails on this thing. (laughs) And open it up and, 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 and just... Take a moment to meditate personally with our wonderful Lord and ask yourself, who is this guy? 